Okay. Today's uh, Garden of Amuna Shiur is called Amuna Happiness, the Beginning of Choice. So once again, I want to give some introductory comments and then explore the issue. If you saw in the ad that went out for this, uh, the notification that went out for the Shiur, I mentioned to you that without happiness, you're not seeing all the choices that are available. And just practically speaking, before we get any supernal and mystical and anything else, just practically speaking, when you're not happy, then your mind is pretty closed and you don't see all the stuff that are available to you. You think that you only have one or two choices and either of them do not sound that favorable. But when you're happy, just plain practically speaking for a moment, when you're happy, all of a sudden your mind opens up and realizes, oh my God, I didn't realize how many choices are available to me. So what we're actually saying in this piece is, for starters, that you need to be able to have happiness just to see how many choices are really available to you. Now that you understand that, the question is, okay, what's about happiness? You need to be happy too. So understand that happiness is the first choice. It's the beginning of choices. So choice number one, which even gets you into the doorway of seeing how many choices you have, the choice number one needs to be happiness. I choose to be happy. Okay? So obviously... The first thing that goes through your mind, oh, is this going to be one of those uh, positive attitude classes and yada, yada. And of course, you know, <laughs> there's always the people in the background who are sitting, oh my God, it's going to be one of those optimist classes. And it's always the optimist versus the realist, right? <laughs> the real definition of, of a pessimist doesn't even say there's such a thing as a pessimist. There's the optimist and there's the realist because the optimists aren't realists. And uh, I don't know if I ever shared this joke with you before, but it's a cute joke. The, op the, the pessimist says, oh my God, it cannot get worse. And the optimist says, oh yes, it could. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this is not going to be an optimist versus pessimist class. That's not what we're here to talk about. Because then what does it have to do with the Garden of Amuna? What does Amuna have to do with being an optimist or a pessimist? And uh, it could make sense, but that's not where I want to take this today. So let's give an introduction. Amuna. Number one. You should know that we are taught that the divine presence does not rest in anything but happiness. Where there is sadness, there is no divine presence. So much so that the prophets, when they were in any state of sadness slash depression, they would not receive prophecy which will now make sense to you why the prophets usually would have a harp or some musical instrument. And the reason is because the gateway to divine presence, which is what is needed to have any form of prophecy of Ruach HaKodesh, is happiness. So I just wanted to give that as an intro. It's going to make a big difference soon. That Ein Shechina Shruya, 
the divine presence does not rest amongst depression or sadness. Number one. Number two, another intro, is a story in the Talmud. The Talmud states, an interesting case in the tractic of Passover. There was this one case, a whole story with Erev Shabbos and then Shabbos and the Passover sacrifice, and the sages did not know. They simply did not know what to tell the Jewish people concerning how to bring the knives that were needed for the Korban Pesach, the Passover sacrifice, to the temple. And they couldn't come up with what is the halakha. And all of a sudden a statement comes out of the yeshiva. Leave them alone. Maminim b'nei maminim. They are believers. The sons of believers, they'll know what to do. Now when you learn this Gemara, so if you're into po poetry, it sounds nice. But if you don't want to just sign it off as poetry, there's a lot of questions to be asked here. Number one, if you need to know the halacha, you don't need to be the believer, the son of a believer. You need to be a wise person, the son of a wise person. An understanding person, the son of an understanding person. And a knowledgeable person, the son of a knowledgeable person. What does a muna have to do with figuring out the halacha? You can be full of a muna. You didn't go to yeshiva. You didn't learn this law. You're not going to know what to do. So what is going on here? All of a sudden, <laughs> they can't figure out the answer. They're all nervous. We got to do something. Pesach. We got to tell the guys what to do. Don't worry. They're believers. The son of believers. They'll know what to do. What does believing have to do with knowing what to do? A question that fell upon me when I was thinking about this Gemara. And by the way, the end of the story is that that's not what happened. All of a sudden, the sages went out to see what the Jewish people were doing and they saw the story and they saw the action and they remembered the halakha. So instead of the sages, let's put it this way, instead of the believers learning the law from the sages, the knowledgeable ones, the knowledgeable ones learned the halakha from the believers. What's going on here? One more intro. Emuna. I didn't see this written, but from what I've learned, it's I feel safe saying this. Emuna comes from in Kabbalah language, Atik, known as Atika Kadisha, which is the interior part of the crown. It's important to understand this. Because on one hand, it is omnipotent. On the other hand, it is useless. You will remember that we have discussed prior that our sages tell us that the Jewish thief, while he's stealing, is praying to God not to get caught. And obviously that makes no sense. If you believe in God, don't steal. And if you don't believe in God, why are you praying to him? And the answer is that Amuna, in its omnipotence, is circular, encompassing, not linear and permeating. So you can have absolute Amuna and it will not affect you at all.
You can believe in God and not listen to a thing he says. But I do want to share with you, and it's an important introduction that we're going to soon understand why these three introductions had to be lined up like this. But I do want to share with you that the emuna, when they say that Jews are maminim b'nei maminim, believers, the sons of believers, regardless of whether they ever learned in yeshiva or not, regardless if they ever went to an emuna class or not, they are believers, the sons of believers, it's because we're talking about the highest level of all faculties, which is Keter, the supernal crown. And in the supernal crown itself, we're talking about the interior dimension, which is called Atiko Kadisha. And one of the interpretations of the word Atik simply means the holy ancient one. You know what Jerusalem, what do you call the old city? Yerushalayim HaAtika. But there's another definition in the word Atik, which means Netak cut off, separated, which is why I told you the story of the Jewish thief who's praying to God while he's stealing not to get caught. So Emuna, on one hand, lives in the absolute omnipotence of it all, and yet, because it's that level of Atika Kadisha, it doesn't have to affect anything that you do. You can... God forbid, have a shrimp sandwich while you're talking about how much you believe in God. One last and final introduction is that happiness. I'm going to connect for tonight's class to Atik. Atik is defined as pleasure. The lower level of the crown is defined as will. Normally, we're going to connect simcha with the lower part of the crown. Tonight, I would like to suggest that there are two different layers of happiness. One belongs to the omnipotent internal Atika Kadisha, and the other one is about the power of the external crown, which is Erech Ampin, known as long faces, which we know in human language as the power of will. Three introductions, put them all on hold for a moment. Four introductions, right? Put them all on hold for a moment. I, I, maybe I should just explain for a moment the difference of the two levels of happiness. There's one level of happiness that makes you want to dance. It makes you want to do something. But then there's a different type of happiness that I'm not going to say it makes you want to do anything, but it leaves you so at peace with yourself. And I will explain later why I'm calling that tonight happiness. Put that all aside now. Let's talk about an amazing book you guys may want to read. It's a book written in the early 1900s, written by a man called Wallace Waddles. He wrote a book. It had a resurrection because it was quoted in the book called The Secret. And the name of the book is The Science of Getting Rich. I was sitting on a plane with someone, a Greek Orthodox person, and he tells me that his brother is a Greek Orthodox priest. And what he does now is he's actually working with his brother to train the clergy to learn how to deal with the organization and the financial solicitations 
of the institution. <laughs> so I can take that class, but all right. And we got into this conversation. I quoted this book for her to him in our conversation. He told me that there's another book also about it. And I think uh, you told me that you know about that book, about the blue ocean, the blue sea versus the red sea, blue ocean, something like that. So I want to, what's it called? Blue ocean strategy. And again, he talks about the red ocean strategy and we need more blue ocean strategy. And from what he told me, it pretty much carries the same theme of the book that I'm quoting to you from Wallace Waddles. It's a small book. It's a good read. But I'm going to tell you what it says because it's very important to this class to understand how happiness is the beginning of all choices and it's a very important choice to make. Don't tell me about your temperament. I was born this way. I'm the more serious one. He's the more happy one. I'm the more pessimist. He's the more optimist. I'm the doomsday and he's the happy-go-lucky. No, it's a choice. But I think that we need to understand if we talk about happiness in the arena of Amuna. I think we need to once again get the bird's eye view and see what real happiness is. In the book, he talks about like this. There are two formats of going out to do business. Mazel Tov, you opened up a new business. One format is to immediately find out what your competition is doing, get a list if you can, legally, hopefully, of all his customers and grab them away from him. We will call that the format of competition. And the mindset that gives birth to that form of thinking is that the pie is only so big. And the more you have, the less I have. And in order for me to have more, I need to take it away from you. Those are the wonderful people who spend their days trying to find out everything their competition is doing. They're not busy creating their own strategic planning. They're trying to figure out what their competition's strategic plan is. They're not working on their own Facebook page. They're the ones who are checking out their competition's Facebook pages. They're the ones who are trying to befriend all their competition's friends. And their whole format of thinking is, there's only so much to be had. I need to get what they have. One format of thinking. There's another format of thinking, which he calls the infinite power of creativity. And that's by understanding that the source, capital S, the source is infinite. So there isn't only so much to the pie. There's infinite to the pie. So why would I be worrying about what my competition is doing and try to do it quicker than them? Why not focus on creating a new niche in the market? And ultimately speaking, that will help my competition and help me. And I don't need to worry about that. Because he, capital H, who provides and gives, doesn't have a limit. Someone came to the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe and asked the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe a blessing. And the previous Rebbe said, but I know that you're also lacking in this area of your life. Why didn't you ask for a blessing you're there? And he told the previous Rebbe, I don't want to ask too much. You know, this, I'll just ask for this. 
And the previous Rebbe looked at him and says, don't you know who you're asking from? If you're asking from a finite source, then pick your battles. But if you realize that you're talking to God and you're asking from God, then what are you worried about? You're worried about God doesn't have enough to give you? You're worried about if God gives you, he can't give him? So God's going to look at you, what a chutzpah, what is not enough? So this Wallace Waddles presents to us very clearly two different paradigms. One paradigm is there's a finite amount and it kicks me into competition. I'm consistently working on competition. The second format is to really connect, to choose, to connect with the infinite source and to realize that when you connect to the infinite source, there is no need for competition. What he has doesn't negate what I could possibly have. Rather, it allows you to be in a different frame of mind that you're happy for the other person that has and you can be completely happy knowing that you can have everything that you need to have. And you don't have to get an ulcer every time you find out that your competition was just awarded in the paper and an article and had a quick breakthrough, grabbed the market by storm. Don't worry about it. He will grab the market by storm for what he invented and you will now connect to the infinite source and from there you will be able to connect and get everything that you need and beyond. Why am I talking to you about this when we're talking about happiness? Because what I want to present to you is, and that was my final introduction before I began. You see, the happiness that comes from without must be in touch with the paradigm of competition. We will actually call that right now the poor man's paradigm. What he has, I don't have. I need to get what he has. The happiness that comes from anywhere beneath the inner essence of the crown immediately throws you into the paradigm of competition. And when you're in the paradigm of competition, your happiness can never be self-substantiating and can never be true and whole. I heard from the great Mashpir of Mendel Futafas of Blessed Memory. He said to me, he said once to me, he said, if I bring it. He said that even the biggest king, when the fly in the throne room gets a little too close to the throne, he's getting frustrated. The poor man's paradigm of competition. And when you're in the poor man's paradigm of competition, you can never be happy. And when you're in the poor man's paradigm of competition, you can never be truly in touch with the highest gift of creativity, which allows you to fully see all the choices that truly are available to you.
I may have shared this story with you once. I'd like to share it again. It was told to me by my classmate. He's living be well. He's a shliach in New York. He told me what's the difference between a rich man and a poor man. The rich man bought a new hat for two ruble and a year later sold it to the poor man for one ruble. At the end of the day, how much did they each pay for their hat? One ruble. But the poor man wore a new hat. I'm sorry, the rich man wore a new hat and the poor man wore a used hat. And thus we know our sages say, Ein oni elabadas. The definition of poverty and wealth is only in the paradigm of the mind. Tonight, we can actually give labels to what those paradigms are. The poor man's paradigm of competition, there isn't enough, there's finite, I need to get away what he has, I'm going to plot every time I hear that he has something new that I don't have. Or the rich man's paradigm of the infinite creativity, let him have what he has, it will not affect me of what I will have. And what I'm sharing with you here today is that the poor man's happiness can never be a true happiness. Because it's never about what I have, it's about what I don't have. Because what you have took away from me. How can I ever be happy? Remember that child, you probably, the story you probably read as a child about the guy who was so frustrated he came home and his house looked like everyone's house so he painted his house a new color and everyone painted the house a new color. He planted a tree and everyone planted a tree, right? I think we once shared this in one of the other lectures about this feminine mystique where your gown is gorgeous until you walk into the hall and see someone else has the same gown. What made it less gorgeous? It's not less gorgeous, but how can I be happy? So what we're talking about here is that this paradigm of the finite, which leads me to competition, will automatically lock me out of the true infinite happiness. And when you don't have true infinite happiness, you can never see everything that's available to you because you're not searching the insides of your soul. God, your fingerprint in me is the power of ex nihilo, creating something from nothing. Why am I wasting my time looking at what that person's doing when I have within me that amazing fingerprint of God, that amazing piece of Atiko Kadisha, that amazing piece of omnipotence, which allows me to be able to produce something unprecedented. And that is where my parnasa, my sustenance, my wealth lies. So if you're talking about the poor man's happiness, you're talking about a happiness that is not the beginning of all choices, which opens up the door to infinite choices. By definition, I have chosen the paradigm of the finite, which locks me into the finite, which denies me to be able to see all the choices that are available to me. Those are the people who no matter whatever happens, they'll always have a reason why this won't work for them. You guys know that Jackie Mason line? That property. Huh. I almost bought it. 
Well, why don't you buy it now? Now. Now it's too late. There's always a reason why not. Because in the finite mind, there's always a reason for not taking a step forward, for not being brave enough to be yourself, for not finding your inner dimensions, for not being able to stand up and do what only you can do. Because you're too busy worrying about why that person did what he did. And how do I do what he did? You can never find your destiny if you don't have the rich man's paradigm of happiness. Let's take it to one more level. Every one of us is not part of this brainless machine that monkey see, monkey do. So ultimately speaking, every single one of us is here in this world for a reason. And if anyone else in the universe can do what I was meant to do, I would not be here. I want to say that again. If there's anyone else in the universe who can do what I was meant to do, I would not be here. I would be a waste. Thus, when we move into the rich man's paradigm, you all of a sudden realize that there is something in this master painting that I and only I can do. That is where true happiness lies. That is what opens up your mind to see choices that didn't exist before. Because if you were looking through his eyes, he could not see what only you can see. Because you and only you are here to do that. So when we talk about the happiness that is the first choice, which opens up all options of choices, we're talking about the happiness of Atika Kadisha. We're talking about the happiness of the omnipotence. We're talking about the happiness of connecting to the source that is infinite. Why waste my time with poor man's competition? He opened up another store. He did another program. He had a great minion. God bless him. There isn't a person who's in his shul that belongs in my shul. I'm talking about for my challenges now. You guys need to translate it into your challenges. What, am I going to try to find out what every other shul is doing for Hanukkah? Why? That would be a waste of what I and only I can do. But that only happens when you can open up your mind to the happiness of Atiko Kadisha. The source is infinite. And I want to share something else. Please hear me. When we talk about infinite, we're not talking quantity. That goes without say. We're talking infinite quality. Do you understand what I mean by that? What I mean is infinite quality means that you are not me and I am not you. And you have what only you can do. And I have what only I can do. So the definition of connecting to the infinite source is telling me that I am wasting who I am if I'm busy going after you and your workers and your suppliers and your customers. 
competition denies me the potential of being who I and only I could be. So when we talk about the truest definition of happiness, the definition here is a choice to be made. Am I going to begin my existence by the external crown? Or am I brave enough to focus my existence on the intern internal layer of the supernal crown? Can I only begin where finite begins? Or do I dare to connect to the infinite? Am I always worried about the last coin? Or do I believe that the source is infinite? You want to talk about faith that leads to happiness? The Baal Shem Tov didn't go to sleep until every last coin was out of his house. But don't get me wrong. This is not for me and you to do. If we were to do that, we would get punished. Because that would not be a muna. That would be forcing God to do miracles and you can't rely on miracles. The Talmud says that's a sin. You don't walk into the street and say, well, how can you do that? If I'm meant to die, I'll die. <laughs> That's actually forbidden. The Baal Shem Tov gave away every last coin. The Baal Shem Tov lived with Atika Kadisha. The Baal Shem Tov lived with the tangible conscious of the infinite source that tomorrow will bring tomorrow's coins. Tomorrow will bring tomorrow's sustenance. We all have that with the famous saying that the baby is born with the loaf of bread in his hand or her hand. Because everyone brings their own sustenance. I want to talk about now the choice to be made. What I tried to present to you until now was that true happiness cannot lie in the finite paradigm of competition. The minute you believe that there is a finite amount to be had, you can never be truly happy and you can never see all options and choices that are available to you. Amuna that we're talking about tonight is the Amuna of the infinite source. And what I'm sharing with you here is that only when you have Amuna in the infinite source, let's go over this. I can have a Muna, just want to present the choice. I can have a Muna that there is a finite amount, but I have faith that God's going to give that peace to me. That would be considered a Muna, right? Let's go over it again. I could have faith that there's only a finite amount of money to be had. But my faith is that that finite amount of money, I'm going to get a piece of it. Until tonight, 
that was emuna. What I'm trying to share with you tonight is that is not emuna. Because one of the introductions I gave was that emuna is connecting with the internal level of the crown, which is Atika Kadisha, which is omnipotent and infinite. Ultimately speaking, the minute you have shifted into the paradigm that everything that has a beginning has an end, and there's only X amount, and so forth and so on, you have automatically put yourself in the position where you have, at best, a poor man's emuna, and by definition, those are dichotomies. So having emuna that some make it and some don't, because only X amount of people could make it. But I have emuna that I'm going to be one of those people that are going to make it. That is not emuna once you hear tonight's class. Because if Amuna is Maminim B'nai Maminim, believers, the son of believers, and it's all about that we are connected to the infinite omnipotence of our soul. Thus, on that level, the minute you believe that there's finite amount, but I believe I'll get my peace, you're no more dealing with Amuna. I would like to suggest tonight that that is what the sages meant. That in the finite approach of intellect, we couldn't remember or figure out what to do on that unique case of Passover. But they said that the Jews are believers, the sons of believers. Thus, they're connected with the infinite wisdom. They're connected with the infinite source. They'll come up with creativity. They will bring down that light of divinity, of Torah, and they'll know what to do. Thus, the intellect is a product of faith and not vice versa. Because the faith that's a product of intellect, the intellect is finite, so the moon must be finite. And thus, happiness can never really exist in a finite world. Because there's always that concern. But when we talk about intellect being a product of the infinite, Amuna, then we're talking about the true definition of happiness because it comes from within, and within you know that the infinite source has everything that you need. Take it a step deeper. You are here because you, and only you, can create what you are meant to create. So stop worrying about how much money your competition is making or for what they created. And the intellect that comes from Amuna becomes an infinite intellect because it comes from an infinite Amuna connected to the infinite source. And all of a sudden, you have infinite choices to make. So what we're bringing this lecture to is one concept. You have one choice to make. Do I put myself into the paradigm of the finite 
competition? Or do I put myself in the paradigm of the infinite source? Is there only X amount of choices to be made and everyone else has already made them? There's nothing left for me? Or is the infinite source going to provide me with the infinite intellect to create that which I and only I can create from which will come my sustenance? No one can touch that. Thus the happiness we're talking about is the wealthy man's happiness. Not the wealthy man because, remember the story I told you with the hat, not because he has more. That's not the definition of wealthy in Jewish teachings. Remember what we said, ain't oni elabadas, poverty and wealth is the touch of the intellect, the paradigm. Do you have a poor person's paradigm or do you have a rich person's paradigm? Is it finite? Is it competition? Is it I lost what I lost and how will I ever replace that? It's gone. Or is it the infinite? That which was lost is here to make room for the greater new because the source is infinite. And not only is it here to make room for the new, but it's that type of new that no one but me can create. Let's go back to the infinite paradigm. If anyone else could have created what I am meant to create, I would not be here. For the definition of infinite is qualitative, not only quantitative. And thus, from the qualitative state, why would I waste my time being a second grade you when I have the power to be a first grade me. So happiness is getting into the internal part of the crown. It's getting into the inner dimension of your soul which lives and breathes with the tangible consciousness of the infinite source. That happiness is the first choice to make and that becomes the gateway to infinite choices that you have how to deal with any situation that God hands you. The opposite of that would be to choose the happiness that comes from the paradigm of competition and I'm winning which once again I'm going to mention what you heard from me time and time again. The problem with the rat race is that even if you win, you're still a rat. So you don't want to be stuck in the paradigm of competition and your happiness is only based upon that I'm winning. You don't even begin to see and smell all the choices that are available to you. You're not even capable of embracing that there is an infinite creative choice that you and only you will ever make. So what we said was that Amuna 
is where happiness is the gateway to all choices, an infinite amount of choices. But that happiness is the first choice you need to make. Wallace Vidal's warns in his book that you will continuously be challenged to get pulled back into the paradigm of competitiveness. It works hand in hand with the human ego. You're not happy with what you have until you can also say, and he doesn't have it. That's a huge challenge that we have every single moment. Have you ever noticed how you swore to yourself after you took the seven habits primer that I will never be reactive, I will always be proactive in every one of my relationships. I will not let other people, you know, what's it called? Um, oh, what's it called? Ripple. I won't allow anyone else to ripple my waters. I control my waters. And you're so convinced I'm going to go home tonight. I'm just not getting into it. I'm not responding. I'm not reacting. I'm in my zone. And as you open the door, a comment is thrown at you. And in a heartbeat, your nails are out, your eyes are bulging, and you're in combat. You've automatically slipped into competitive mode. And Muna is the power of your soul, the power of you to never slip into combat competitive mode. One of the finest sayings I've heard about competition is the difference between an amateur and a professional. The amateur is always trying to break the other person's record. The professional is only trying to break his or her own record. That is when you're focused on the happiness that comes from a muna, that comes from the essence of your soul. It knows not of competition because it knows of an infinite source. How can you have competition of who has more infinite? Thus, I want to close up with the two type of happinesses I was presenting to you. One happiness must be external because it's defined by the external finite, what I have and what you don't. The other happiness is actually from within. It doesn't need to express itself in that strong competitive combat mode. It doesn't seem to have that ferocious power of the joy that comes from will. It seems to be a much quieter happiness that lies within pleasure. Sometimes it even goes unnoticed, even by yourself. You don't realize how pleasantly happy you are because you're not combating or competing at all. You're not worried about losing the sale to your competitor, and you're not having a huge l'chaim when you won the sale from your competitor. Because that isn't no more your barometer. That's not your test. I've shared this with you before, and I'm going to close up tonight with this. When you live in this paradigm, of happiness, of emuna, 
which doesn't measure itself comparative or relative at all because it's not competitive, but rather it lies within your infinite connection to the omnipotent source. You will always ask yourself only one question. I believe that when you live in that paradigm, the only question that you feel you'll ever have to answer when your time comes is one question. Have I utilized all the time, all the energy, and all the talent that God gave me? Because that's all that really fuels my happiness. Makes no difference what's going on with everyone and anyone around me. All I want to know is, have I been able to activate and utilize and serve God and my people with the talents and the energy and the time that He gave me and only me? That's the type of happiness that is the first choice which puts you from the external paradigm to the internal paradigm and makes available to you an infinite amount of choices. Take care, guys.